previously on the Sick Invite Podcast. Um, my girlfriend knows me pretty well, so <laughs> she's in the room looking at me. <laughs> she's so she's so Hi. sly. <laughs> Alyssa, hello. She says hello. Um, but yeah. You are now listening to the Sick Invite Podcast with Kayla Herb and Ricky Grimes. Hello, my name is Kayla Herb. And I'm Ricky Grimes. And this is the Sick Invite Podcast, a storytelling show about all ailments. If you're small, chronic, or temporary, the Sick Invite provides an inclusive space for you to share your story. I'm what? good at... I, did, I didn't ask. Oh, I jumped that. Wait, 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 what did you say? <laughs> well, I, I was going to ask what is wrong with you, but actually now I don't care. Oh, no. You interrupted well, me. Well, you know what's wrong with me is that I'm very impatient. Yeah, I can see. What, how are you today? I'm a little snippy. You are a little fired up today. <laughs> you are a little, a little fired up today. Why is that? It is a long day. I see. Well, long, long week, long, long year. A lot, a lot of long year and it just happening. Long, right now. yeah, it just started. Yeah. And God knows when this episode will co- actually come out, and then what it'll actually mean in time wise. I know I was going to celebrate a double impeachment, but I don't even know if we could celebrate it. Yeah, who knows when this might actually come out? So you know, or maybe we're doing this beforehand and we're just wishful thinking. Who knows? <laughs> That's the fun of audio. This show is brought to you by KaylaHerb.com, where knit blankets, custom quilts, and other homemade items are available for purchase and custom order. Please tell everybody how much you love our show. Follow us, like us, and share our content at the Sick Invite Podcast. We also have some brand spanking new merch available. I mm. use a, a whole new platform now. Mm. All available on the SickInvitePodcast.com, including our new periods are a chronic illness merch well it says a new platform they can still get it on the website they can still get it on our website but the products are better you get you get the products faster and uh we get a better uh payment <laughs> from this website so if you, the other so website. if you haven't ordered something yet now is the time and if you have ordered something already now is the time to order another thing order more we got new stuff coming more designs coming because i bought myself an ipad and i'm having fun with procreate we are now also on Patreon. For $3 a month, you can get early access to our episodes and bonus content and other sweet treats. If you want to be on our show, please send us your story through our website. There's a form to fill out at the bottom of the page, and then we'll contact you with further instructions. All right, so in a previous episode, Klaus was asking for your suggestions for what, write his, uh, what his memoir should be. Kayla, remember that? Mm-hmm. And you were very dismissive. You kept asking how old he was. Yeah, I don't care about it. But why do you? But then I don't care about it. But why? Why did you kept asking how old he is? So he wanted to do an over under with his age. <laughs> so wh- how old do you think that Klaus is? I think Klaus is nineteen years old. You think he's a, he's a, a just above the uh, legal age of uh, being able to work with his? Yes. To get his, his do you need working paper? What are those things called? Working papers. Is that what they're called? When you're under 16, I think you need working papers. Well, we're assuming that Klaus lives in America. Klaus does live in America. You don't know that. Uh, that I know. How do you know that? Because he told me. He told you when? I don't remember. So you don't know how old? So you're going with 19? Yeah. All right, you're way under. Oh. Well, how old is he? I have it here. We're doing prices right rules. Am I guessing again? Yeah. All right. Uh, 32. You're way over. <laughs> 24. You're way. You're under. Twenty-eight. You're you're under. Thirty. You're under. Thirty-one. That's right. Thirty-one years old is what he wrote here. Oh, thirty-one wow. years old. I now, thought, yeah, I thought he was nineteen-year-old boy. Oh, I'm sorry. No, this is his waist size. Thirty-one. <laughs> sorry. <laughs>
on today's show, we have Sarah L. So, Sarah, what's wrong with you? Um, what's wrong with me is ulcerative colitis. Uh, I have OCD. I have major depression and anxiety. A real fun batch of things to have yeah. all together, but pretty common to have yeah, uh, those much. together. So what would you like to start with? Um, so... Basically, it all started with the UC. So, I mean, I've had depression and anxiety my whole life in, like, random ways, as well as the OCD. Now that I've been diagnosed, I can look back and see it. But, um, so I'm going to start with probably that, the UC. Mm -hmm. Um, Should I do that? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Okay, so when I was 11, I told you this story on social media, but... um, I was at my father's house because my parents are divorced and I was going to the bathroom and there was blood on the toilet paper and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm a woman. (laughs) Everyone's going to be really inspired by me and all my friends are going to be jealous. And I went out to the living room and I told my dad and he was really upset because he had to go buy pads, which is not something he ever thought he'd have to do. And he bought, like, giant pads, too. But um, I woke up in the morning, and there was nothing on the pad. So uh, kind of happened again and again, and um, we realized it was coming from my butt. <laughs> um, and then I was pretty much diagnosed pretty fast after that with a pediatric um, Wow, why did I forget the name of the doctors that take care of me? Gastroenterologists. Gastro, thank you. <laughs> um, so that was like a traumatic event in itself, you know, having like someone's finger in your butt when you're like 11. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was disturbing. Uh, and then I went into remission, what I would call remission, um, but not really because I had been bleeding the whole time. Up until I was 14, mm-hmm. um, it was like toilet bowl full of blood, like insane. Like if I, I don't think I ever showed anyone, Yeah. but I feel like if I did, like they, they would be traumatized. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so when I was 14, we went away to, to North Carolina for Thanksgiving and my family was, uh, took my mom aside and told her that I looked like I was like half dead. And, um, so when we got back, she took me to the doctor and they did blood work. And and basically I was so anemic that they weren't really sure how I was still like up and going. Um, so that's when we decided I needed like an adult doctor because the pediatric doctor wasn't working. Um, so I, my mom is amazing and she fought for me to get into the Cleveland clinic and basically my doctor took me in even though I was the only pediatric patient he'd had ever had so I was his youngest patient um and then he put me on the medicine that I've been on for over 10 years now um and I went into real remission then on 2019 in spring um I was having like pain going to the bathroom so I got a flex sigmoidoscopy which for those of you that don't know is just like a 
short colonoscopy is what they also call it. Mm-hmm. Um, because my ulcerative colitis is very uh, close to my anus, so it's like in the rectum area. It's like doesn't even go around the first curve. Um, so I had that with my gastro. Then he basically just told me I had proctitis, which I think is like the inflammation of the butthole. I don't know. <laughs> um, so I had to do freaking, I had to put my finger in my butt every night with like this ointment. And that was really fun laying next to my boyfriend of five years, my <laughs> finger, my butt. Super cool. Um, so the medicine he prescribed me for the proctitis, um, this is where my like OCD comes in. It was like, it was mostly hypochondria. Mm-hmm. So I was like always pretty much sure that I was dying. I went to the doctor like twice a month. Um, so the medicine he prescribed me interacted with my ulcerative colitis medication. I somehow found out because I'm, I was literally out of my mind. Um, and when I called to get some like clarification, the receptionists were like terrible human beings. Like (laughs) they should not be working anywhere where they have to speak to humans at all because they were just so awful. Um, and then I had started to like get really anxious and upset and um I wasn't taking the medicine so I was also in pain um and I heard my mom told me that my insurance has something called a chronic care consultant or something like someone you can talk to if you have a chronic illness and they'll help you out with um medical questions and and kind of like stuff like this where they where you don't really have a voice you feel like So she called Cleveland Clinic and they were rude to her as well. And a few weeks went by before she heard from the doctor. And when she did hear from the doctor, he said that I can take the medicine or nothing. (laughs) So that was the last time I talked to him. (laughs) Because I ended up calling like the pharmacist and she told me everything was fine and I could take it. and, And that was that with Cleveland Clinic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I had to, like, call the ombudsman of the hospital and, like, complain. And um, I remember the day that that happened, I was, like, at work, and I started crying, and I was having, like, a full-on panic attack. And that's when, like, a lot of the really bad anxiety started. Um, but I have a new gastro now, and he's awesome. And, um, and now we can go into my mental breakdown. I'm ready for the mental breakdown. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it basically started with all that. So I get a B12 shot. I don't know if you get B12 shots, do you? Mm-mm. Those, that I've never needed. I'm, I'm uh, D deficient, but I take yeah, these yeah, drops yeah. under I'm, my tongue. I'm not too, but I don't do anything for that. But I guess <laughs> ulcerative colitis, B12 is an issue. So um, I get the shots because the... The pills really hurt my stomach. Um, so I got this B12 shot at my primary. And I got home and my like arm was numb where they shot, gave me the shot. And I started freaking out. I was like, oh my God, this is a blood clot somehow. <laughs> this is a blood clot and I'm going to die. It's going to go to my lungs. It's going to go to my brain. It's going to go to my heart. And I'm definitely going to die. I called my best friend who was in nursing school. I called her dad who was a pharmacist. I called my mom. 
and I basically freaked out, like had a full on freak out. And that was, I had to take a Xanax to go to sleep. Um, but, uh, that was basically when I was convinced that I should start to seek medication Mm -hmm. for my mental health instead of just, um, therapy. I was going to therapy, but, uh, my therapist said she couldn't help me anymore (laughs) after that. So yeah, I got, I got like dumped by my therapist because it was that bad. Well, was something wrong with the shot that you got or it was just kind of the freak thing that happened? Because that is kind of alarming. I'd probably freak out too. Yeah. um, Basically what the doctor ended up telling me, because I did call back the office, um, she just said that they could have nicked a nerve. And um, I don't know, it was numb for like a few days, but... The next time I got the B12 after my whole mental health hospital stay, it was numb again, but that time I didn't freak out. So I I don't know. I don't I don't know if it's a B12 thing, I don't know if it's a shot thing. I really don't know, but I didn't die, so that was good. Mhm. So when I decided it was time to go take some medicine, uh, I made the mistake of going to my primary which I don't recommend um, because she put me on Prozac and the first day I took Prozac uh, probably like six hours went by in the day and I started having an anxiety attack Um, and my anxiety since probably like when I first got UC um, it kind of shows and like I can't breathe um so at night like they thought I had sleep apnea for a while because at night I would like gasp for air out of nowhere um and so that happened I didn't sleep for three days after the first time I took the Prozac so I stopped it immediately I think I only took two pills um and it basically like messed with something in my head to the point where I like, I, the anxiety didn't go away for like a week. I think I was going to work still, but I was leaving early and like crying constantly and like asking everyone if I was dying (laughs) (laughs) basically. Um, so it got to a point where I, it, it was so bad. The anxiety was so bad that I wanted to die. Um, and at that point, like, I wasn't, I wasn't suicidal because I was depressed. I was suicidal because of the anxiety because mm-hmm. I just didn't want to feel it anymore. Um, and that's when we called the insurance and got me into a, a PHP program at a local hospital. Uh, PHP is Partial Hospitalization Program. So uh, you get there in the morning, you have breakfast, you go to class, you have lunch, you go to class, and then you get to go home. Um, It's a step above um, outpatient. I forget what that one's called, but it's a step above that, but it's a step under, like, full hospitalization. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was a traumatic event all in itself. Um, 
But yeah, there I got put on Effexor and I've been on Effexor ever since. My dose is way higher, but uh, there's that. And then I was dealing with the depression from everything that had happened. And so then I started Wellbutrin and that was basically like my special little mixture. Um, yeah, and that's where I am now. So your special little mixture uh, that's working out well for you, you're feeling better? Yeah, um, my anxiety is basically gone. Uh, I don't have much hypochondria. My OCD is every once in a while is like I get stuck on things and get obsess obsessive about certain things. Um, but I really just don't want to take a third pill. <laughs> so I'm trying to like deal with that in other ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So do you think that your mental health kind of stemmed from the trauma of having a chronic illness and like worrying like is this normal is what's next um even though you were diagnosed pretty fast and it was pretty much under control for most of your um experience but it sounds like you're saying um it still caused a lot of anxiety for you is that what you were saying yeah um I think it was a mixture of that with also, uh, it runs in my family. So my dad was a hypochondriac up until he was like in his thirties. Like he spent a lot of time, you know, hospital visits thinking he was having a heart attack, which I've probably been to the hospital like five separate times thinking I had a heart attack. Um, so I think that was all kind of meant to be, <laughs> yeah. um, just like the depression with my mom's side of the family. Um, is there a specific way um, someone who's a hypochondriac or has hypochondriac tendencies that they cope with it differently or deal with it differently if they do also have a chronic illness? Or is that is that common? Or is it one lead to the other? Or um, I don't really know. Uh, what I do have learned is that hypochondria is like, basically a form of of OCD mm -hmm. um like I tried to get diagnosed with hypochondria and that just never happened it wasn't a thing I wasn't formally diagnosed with OCD either but um I, I was never formally diagnosed with anxiety or depression either I don't know what's up with like the mental health Mm -hmm. situations but you don't yeah. really get a formal diagnosis yeah that was something when we've been speaking to different people on the podcast that have deal with like issues that are more mental than than physical and the diagnoses are a little bit more hard to get a hard diagnosis on anything a lot of it's like you kind of just take the pieces of this pieces of that and you kind of follow down a kind of a path right Kayla it doesn't seem like a lot of the times you get like a specific from what we've heard just anecdotally yeah, a lot of times they kind of just say it in passing. And at first, that was something I was very annoyed with because um, I like to have a name on things. And it still is something that kind of bothers me because I, I think I've said it before where like a professor said like, oh, if you can name it, you could tame it. And that's kind of been how I've addressing everything in my life, um, even if I'm just having a bad day, figuring out why I'm having that bad day. But in school, um, mental health, they kind of, don't always it's not always best to put a name to diagnosis because then people get over medicalized is what they call it and you're then focusing on especially 
in psychiatry where like like you said you're seeing your primary care they go oh you're depressed you must have depression we're going to put you on this and it mm-hmm. kind of just gets like a blanket treatment where mental health shouldn't really be treated that way right. and some people believe that if you don't formally diagnose somebody you could properly address their symptoms better because it's all so individual like everyone we've talked to their anxiety looks different on everybody Mm -hmm. (laughs) like we haven't had anybody um so far who said anything about um having hypochondria like you were saying so i'd I'd kind of would like to know a little bit more about what your anxiety looks like like you talked about feeling like you're having a heart attack like do you have any other typical signs that you're having an anxiety attack um yeah most of it's revolved around my heart um like if I one of the things with OCD is like basically OCD is not at all what people think it is it's intrusive thoughts and so for example with the hypochondria thing if I think too much about like my body um it starts to like freak me out and could give me a lot of anxiety so I can't really do yoga for example Because with the stretching, I'll start to, like, picture the things stretching and, like, I don't know. It just freaks me out. Um, And and that's a very self-aware Yes. It's the same thing with, like, meditation and deep breathing exercises. Those never worked for me, and I didn't really understand why. But now that I have, you know, now that I know it's OCD, basically, it kind of makes sense. Um, So... Yeah, I think I went to the hospital like five times thinking I had a heart attack. Um, uh, there's so many things. I mean, I go, I would go to the doctor with like any little pain, thinking that it was a blood clot that was going to break loose and end my whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that I wanted to mention, because like I had to write down my whole timeline. <laughs> Um, when you have like really bad anxiety and depression, you don't really make memories. Um, I don't know if you guys ever heard of that, but Mm -hmm. so I have like a really hard time with like my memory. Um, basically like, I don't, I just remember it was awful. I just remember going to being at work and I would, I would like something would happen and then I would stand up and I would go to the front desk girl and I started talking to her and I would just, like, like, if I was her, I would be like, oh, my God, this girl's out of her mind. Like, <laughs> she's so annoying. She's always complaining. She's always worried that something's wrong. She's always asking if she should be worried. Like, yeah, um, it was so basically my, that kind of thing. My amateur guess is kind of just because you're focusing on something other than just what's happening right in front of you. So it's hard to take in what mm-hmm. else is going. Is that kind of why? Yeah, that's what um, I was told when I was first um, when I was first diagnosed. Because I would sit with the therapist and they would ask me questions, and I would just be like completely silent because yeah. I literally like can't remember. Um, I can't remember even what I was just saying. So, well, a lot of people have talked about brain fog when they come on the show. Is that something? you're experiencing now (laughs) well I don't know what I'm experiencing now but (laughs) brain fog was a thing that now now you just jogged my memory that was um I actually ended up getting a ct scan is that the one for your head I don't know um 
I think you can get a CAT yes, scan on something, your head. It's usually I an got MRI, one, I think. One of the, I think I got both. <laughs> or, 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 or a CAT scan. I got, yeah, one of them. A CAT scan is a CT scan. Okay. Oh, is that what is, is that what that means? Yeah, yeah just forgetting oh, the didn't. A, I guess. I, well, I, I thought there was a different one with, that had the A in it. No. Oh. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so I got that because the brain fog was so... Like, I guess you could describe it in two different ways. It could be physical and it could be mental. Because um, with me, I kind of like... I felt like I couldn't see right. I felt like I was bumping into things a lot I I thought I had a brain tumor mm-hmm. like I swore I had a brain tumor and that's what was happening so that's when I ended up getting the brain scan and during the brain scan they saw something in my ovaries and that's when I got the other scan <laughs> <laughs> and then nothing was wrong so um yeah I think it was mostly like it was it was definitely always like big things like brain tumor heart attack like it was never, I, I thought I had diabetes at some point. Um, and my OCD is very like, very good at convincing me of things. Um, not only like medical wise, but uh, literally everything. My, my OCD convinces me of many things. Mm-hmm. Well, I know that when we talk to people that have a chronic physical illness or, or have dealt with any sort of physical illness, not maybe not, and also mental illness, one of the things that, like I know Kayla does this, is they do a lot of research. They do a lot of like looking into what's going on, what are potential treatments you can do. And it seems like you did that a little bit. You mentioned your mom and, and, and the one that you ended up doing for your OCD and your anxiety. But is that something that you have to avoid doing? Is that something that's not good for your OCD is like kind of doing research into stuff like that? Yeah, um, at at first, at first I was like, oh, I have to avoid my triggers. Mm -hmm. Um, But as I've gotten more into like the OCD community and everything, uh, it's not really, it's not really what people recommend um, because you don't want to spend your life, you know, avoiding things. Um, For example, this is like my deepest, darkest secret I'm about to say, but... uh, there's a bunch of different types of OCD, and one of them that will come up often is pedophile OCD. Um, so like I was saying, my brain convinces me of things. Um, I was convinced that I was a pedophile. So I wouldn't watch anything with children. It would make me really uncomfortable. Because um, I was like, oh, do I like that kid? And oh, am I attracted to that child? Like, And it was obviously no, but... Um, and that's kind of what brought me into OCD is because I ended up looking it up one day. I was Mm -hmm. like, why do I think I'm a pedophile when I'm not a pedophile? Mm -hmm. Like, and that's when the POCD came up. Um, so I don't remember where we were going with that. (laughs) That what you're saying, I've seen like a lot of content about intrusive thoughts and like Mm -hmm. saying how you are not your intrusive thoughts. Like I've seen other ones where like you see a baby and you're like, what if I kick that baby? Or like, what if I made out with my mom right now? Like things that are like meant to make you like cringe and like, why would I think that? Or like, I'm going to drive off this bridge right now. And like Mm -hmm. a ton of things like that. And like, I want to say a lot of people have those thoughts and go, what? (laughs) 
but yeah. I, I but it's the intrusiveness and the amount of times that it happens that it can mm-hmm. consume you so yeah and I'm, I'm happy that I've seen things like that and I don't know if everybody sees like TikToks like this or if I'm just uh, like a strange medical person and I've researched <laughs> too much in my life that I see all these things um, but I think that that exposure me like hey I have this will make comf- comfort a lot of other people mm-hmm. too but is yeah. that, uh, you would call it more like an intrusive thought. I think people get confused with OCD. They think it's like, I have to count yeah. this all the pencils in this jar right now. I yeah, mean, no, it's that's not really that. That's a thing, but that's not like all the thing. Like most of the people online that I've met with OCD don't have that kind. Um, so there's something called Pure O, which is basically just obsessions and you don't really have the compulsions. Um, and then like there's a version where you have just mental compulsions. So like you're not like, doing things like you're not checking the doorknob but you're thinking about it mm-hmm. um which is basically more what I have um and so I, I remember where I was going it was that um so about avoiding my triggers um basically instead of now not watching any movies that have children in it ever again um and not being around like children which I don't really like children anyway, so that would be fine. <laughs> but <laughs> um, you basically do this thing called an exposure and you just like, it's kind of funny. You really just tell your, your OCD to fuck off. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. Sorry. You, you get one F-bomb. Oh, okay, that was it. <laughs> um, and that was an important one too. Because yeah. <laughs> that's literally what you do. Like, um, So for example, if... Uh, yeah, I would, like, babysit, babysit a kid, and, like, the whole time I would just be telling my OCD, like, get over yourself, like, go away. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've been doing that more than just avoiding things. Because I was avoiding a lot of my, most of my OCD is, like, sexual things. So there's, like, incest, and then there's pedophile, and then um, I used to think I was a lesbian. Um, so... I was avoiding my family members for a while. I was avoiding my girlfriends. I was avoiding children. Like it was, it's not a good way to live. So it's way better to just sit in the uncomfort. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting what you're saying, like where you just tell the thought uh, to go scratch. Cause mm-hmm. that, that's something I've been working on with my therapist. Like I just like panic. I think that Ricky's going to die all the time. <laughs> like when he leaves the house, I'll say like, Oh, this, that was, le- what's the last thing I said to him? That's good. That's going to be it. And mm-hmm. I, I talk to my therapist about it. I'm like, he'll go out to get coffee and I panic the whole time. And I know it's stupid. How do I fix this? And he said exactly what you're doing. And he, mm-hmm. he actually told me he's like, some people benefit by like imagining a literal stop sign or like telling mm-hmm. yourself like stop and like like interrupting your own intrusive yeah. thoughts and and it's it's helping me i mean i'm i think the pandemic kind of worsened that stuff for me right um i think i'm just like a little bit more uh aware of death <laughs> these days mm-hmm. so um but it's you know different issues that we're both addressing in a kind of similar way um well, you mentioned that you had you were found some things in the OCD community or mm-hmm. online in the OCD community. H- how did you kind of get involved? I don't know if you're involved is the right word, but how did you kind of find out about that? And has it been helpful or has it been made things more 
confusing. Um, I don't remember exactly how I found the woman, but I found one woman and she led me to another girl that's my age. Um, her name's, her Instagram name is Tortilla Wilson. Um, and she is like a huge OCD advocate and she's had, she had like this one live with the therapist and they were talking about pedophilia OCD and it was like the first time I ever heard anyone like really talking about it and like it made me cry because I was like oh thank god like <laughs> I'm not a pedophile <laughs> praise be <laughs> um so that's yeah it's, and and I've talked to her too like through messages and everything so I think when you can find someone who's a huge advocate who isn't like super busy like they can answer your dms and things like that mm -hmm. it's really really it's definitely helpful mm -hmm. and just seeing the exposure about it is super 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 helpful especially when it's something that you're insecure about um, yeah but i want to rewind a little bit go back to mm -hmm. your butthole so mm -hmm. you talked about <laughs> <laughs> when you were a young lass and the doctor put their finger in your butthole. Yeah. Um, I have the same exact traumatizing experience. I was 14 <gasps> I and my mom knew what was happening. <laughs> she knew this was going to happen because they had to check me for a hernia. Mm. And it was before I was diagnosed with Crohn's. So I went and <laughs> they, I had a gown on and I thought I was getting like another scan or something. And they go, okay, turn over. I'm like, okay. And they're like, now hug your knees. I'm like, mm. okay. And then I, <laughs> I heard the glove snap on her hand. And she goes, just a little bit of lube. And then, it, I mean, it was like a second, but I had no warning. I did not know yeah. that that was happening to me. And then at the end, they complimented how clean I was. Ew. <laughs> That's messed like, up. Thank you. I wipe. There's no dingleberries. Yeah, what uh, does that mean? You were 14. <laughs> <laughs> so after that, though, I did. I think that's also why it took so long for me to get diagnosed with Crohn's. I was like, I'm never going to a gastroenterologist ever again mm -hmm. because they're going to put their finger in my bubble <laughs> and they're not going to tell me about it. And my mom, she was like, I'm sorry. I knew you'd get freaked out, though. I'm like, a oh, little warning would have been yeah. nice. But I think that that experience has made me obsessed with researching everything now. Like when I go to the doctor, I want to know exactly what that doctor is going to do to me. I did the same thing when I went to the dermatologist. I did the same thing when it was first time for me to get a pap smear. I, mm. even if I don't like the information that's being presented to me, I like knowing what's going to happen. So I think that was more of a control thing for me. Did you, do you relate to that? at all like with the research and stuff so i don't relate to that because uh, my mom is a nurse and i basically like grew up with like going to the doctor like all of our preventative care dentist dermatologist primary all of that so um i have like a full-on trust in doctors which is why when the whole thing happened at the Cleveland Clinic I was like super distraught mm -hmm. um, but I've definitely like listening to your podcast and everything like in your life has definitely given me like more uh, motivation to like bring something to the table when I go to my visits with the doctor and actually like 
write down what I need to say and not like let them walk all over you. Mm-hmm. Um, so thanks for that. You're welcome. <laughs> it took me a very long time to figure out how to do that. And I have mm-hmm. Ricky to thank for that. Shout out to Rickster. Yeah, I'm right. I'm right here. I'm on the show. <laughs> um, so how else are you feeling? Like you've mentioned that your medication is working pretty well for your mental health. Um, how is, how is your colon feeling these days? Or your anus, since it doesn't go that far up. My booty buttholes, what we call it now. <laughs> um, I, it's good. I had fissures last year. Have you ever had those? I've never had a fissure, no. Oh, those are great. They're basically like paper cuts inside your butthole. Um, so, that was, oh, that was so bad. I like... I couldn't poop. Like, it was so painful. It felt like my whole entire insides were ripping apart. Yeah. Um, so I had to take, like, stool softeners and all other stuff. And, uh, event, you, you know, you can't really do much for them besides, like, keep... I think there was an ointment or something to keep it, like, clean. Because mm-hmm. you don't want them to get infected. Um, but ever since that, ever since I started with my new gastro... Uh, everything's been really good. Um, I have my colonoscopy on the 5th, actually. Mm. My routine. Coming up. And that's going to be my first full colonoscopy with my new gastro. Ooh, so going right up to that thing. ilium. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Lucky guy. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't mind the colonoscopy. I mean, I anytime somebody needs one, they tend to ask me. Um, mm-hmm. what my thoughts are, especially if it's like someone's dad's got to get it for the first time. Yeah. Um, or like a coworker, like the, I, the first time that I had one, I, I worked with for my aunt at the time and I was like, Oh, I'm going to come in uh, the day before. Cause I don't want to waste a day. She's like, Oh no, 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 you're not coming in. I was like, why not? <laughs> like I did not realize the amount of pre- preparation mm-hmm. that is required for a colonoscopy. Yeah. Well, you should explain to the folks at home what, what you're right, talking so about the folks at home, the actual procedure, best sleep you'll ever have. Yeah, you'll ask for more medicine when you wake up. Yeah, you don't want to wake up. You're like, <laughs> do I have to go? But then you have to wake up, and they don't let you leave until you fart. And mm. that wait, 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 wait. Hold on. You're confusing, you're confusing the listeners here. The procedure <laughs> is not the best sleep you ever had. It's the medication they give you to sedate The you. anesthetic is... To die for, right? <laughs> but you, had a, you didn't say so. You just made it sound like they were just going to do the procedure. They, they go count, count to ten, and then you go on. <laughs> because they're giving you anesthesia. Yeah. Okay, that's you got to go step by <laughs> step here. But so when I, whenever I get them, I almost always have had an endoscopy at the same time. So like I'm on my side, and I got a tube in my mouth, and they're like count to ten. So I'm like, hur, 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 and uh, I wake up on the table. Um, but then, so then when you wake up. Uh, you're a little loopy. Yeah, but can you talk? Ab- <laughs> can you talk about the procedure? The what, what are they doing? They no, take, what are they, they doing? They take a camera, a little, a bendy little, skinny little camera, like the size uh-huh. of a uh, girth of a pencil, probably. They shove it up your Yahoo, not your Yahoo, your your Yuha. <laughs> this is the. W- <laughs> <laughs> this is for a person who has a podcast about this. This is the worst description <laughs> of a colonoscopy I've ever heard. They insert it into your. Uh, hole uh, all the way up as far as they can go which is usually the ilium um, 
And then if you, when you get an endoscopy, it's the same thing, but from your mouth as far as they can go. And the ilium's right in the middle of where they can go. So they, tr- they go as far as they can. And what's um, the purpose of something like that? The purpose of that is it's a camera to see your insides. But for them to do it properly, you have to be cleaned out. Mm-hmm. It's a whole lot of preparation. So mm-hmm. I don't know if it differs within doctors. For my guy, I have to take stool softeners a couple days before an entire bottle of Miralax or one of those laxative bottles and mix it with a light colored Gatorade in the size mm-hmm. of like a lemonade jug. Like the whole. <laughs> I literally can't drink light blue Gatorade anymore. Even just looking at it makes me gag. Yeah, Ricky likes the orange Gatorade and that just makes me think of colonoscopies. <laughs> yeah, is o- is orange considered a light color? It is. You can't have anything uh, purple or the red. Yeah. The red dye- is a light Red is a dark color. Red is a dark color. Anything that could like make you look inflamed, falsely inflamed, so like the red could dye the inside of your intestines and make it look like you have inflammation, but you might not. But orange would be not? Orange, apparently the dye isn't that serious. Huh. So they said purple and red dye. So like if you, ha- when you can have jello the day before, but you can't have the red jello. You can have yellow and orange mm. jello. <laughs> and what then you could have broth. What about green? I don't I think, think you can have green. Is green yeah. considered a light color? I don't even, I literally don't even eat anything because I'm like, if I can't have actual food, then forget it. Yeah, I usually just drink gator, not gatorade, ginger ale the whole time because I feel now, like Sarah, the carbonation. S- Sarah, you said me. this you, This is your first time you're having a colonoscopy? Is that what you said? Oh, no, no. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> you're, oh, I'm no, sorry. A a new, colonoscopy. New colonoscopy with the new doctor. That's with what the new said. doctor, yeah. I've had like eight, I think. Oh, okay. So you're familiar with this. But this is oh, low. yeah. I remember in like the it's actually it's interesting because in 2007, when I had my first colonoscopy, it was like a two day thing, like a the, the day before you can't eat anything and you have to take the, the medicine all day the day before. And now um, it's literally just the night before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find the worst part. I mean, besides the drinking, the Miralax, which is awful, but to me, the worst part is how you're not allowed to drink any water Yeah. in the morning. Yeah, and are you like me, where you wake up in the middle of the night and in the morning just parched? Yeah. <laughs> last, my last colonoscopy, I was so thirsty that I wanted them to give me the IV, like, once I stepped in to the outpatient treatment center, mm-hmm. but they wouldn't. And then when I woke up, they gave me, I told them to keep bringing me apple juice yeah oh yeah they have (laughs) snacks ready for you too when you wake up yeah (laughs) so i don't i don't know about you but anytime i've ever had any anesthesia i i some people wake up and they're totally fine i am loopy as heck the first time well not the first time one of the first few times that i had it i woke up the nurse came in and she said hey you did a great job the doctor will be with you soon and I said okay but I was like not there yet then she started talking to the patient next to me and that doctor started talking to that patient telling them bad news and I was like what I but I thought this was just routine and then I just keep the nurse kept going like we're not talking to you and I'm like okay okay and like it kept like like coming back and like hearing the bad news again, I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> that's <laughs> terrible. <laughs> so I feel bad for that person because I was just oh exacerbating gosh. their bad news. But how do you, how are you how do you react after 
the the first time I um I I was I was loopy and I saw like a farmer and his wife and I was like yelling at them like asking what they were doing in the hospital and uh the nurse walked by and asked her for more meds and my mom was with me because I was a minor and she was so embarrassed um but I think I don't know if I must have gotten used to it or what, but um, you now I just, I don't know if I say anything embarrassing anymore, which is sad. I, I definitely say embarrassing things. I remember bits and pieces of me telling how m- my gastro how much I love him and appreciate him, and I meant every word of it, but I don't remember anything they say to me. I just remember like the script that I rehearsed in my head at the time. Um, <laughs> but now on my chart, I have that like don't tell me anything that i need to know until ricky's back because i didn't Mm -hmm. remember the last time apparently i had inflammation and i thought it went great and then i went to the follow-up and he's like all right so let's see here's the pictures and like my stomach was green i'm like i don't remember you saying anything about bile yeah i don't even know why they try to do that yeah that was the same thing when i was diagnosed with proctitis i had to like call back i was like why did you even bother? Yeah. What a waste of time. Aren't you the doctor? Shouldn't you know that I'm not <laughs> mentally there at that time? Yeah. Now, for because a lot of your issues are uh, towards the end of your track, are you able? Are they able to uh, examine you in the office without scans often? Um. Uh, like I don't know if they can like peek in there. <laughs> I don't. I don't think that's a thing, no. Um, no, because I mean, thinking like with my old doctor versus a new doctor, because a new doctor hasn't been inside me, so he doesn't know exactly where it is. So, um, but yeah, no. No, they like feel around for like probably for hemorrhoids and, and fissures and stuff like that, but. Mm-hmm. I don't think they can see in there, unfortunately. Yeah, hemorrhoids are really the only thing I have that low. I've had some colon inflammation, but a lot of my Crohn's is upper GI. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, like when you were talking about blood, I'm usually not that alarmed when I see blood. Where like some people would freak out, and like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm fine with blood when it's coming out of the V hole and the B hole. But if I see it anywhere else, I totally squeamish. Like when That's I saw so the blood strange. on my toe when they were doing the toe surgery, I <laughs> and when I had to tend to that dressing, I couldn't do. But if I see it in the bowl, I'm like, eh, it's That's so funny. <laughs> That's so funny. I don't get that. Yeah. Now, now I, if there's like a little bit of blood, I don't even, I don't even bat an eyelash at it. Mm-hmm. So uh, besides me, because I know that we're pals, uh, internet pals. Do you have anyone else with IBD in your life that was able, kind of able to help you through? Because it's kind of embarrassing to talk about when you're a teenager. Yeah. Um, the thing about me is I don't have like a filter. Like I don't <laughs> think about things at all. Like how I told you earlier that I thought I was a pedophile and an incestual lesbian. Like I clearly don't think things through. <laughs> so... Um, talking about it was never a problem for me. I didn't know, I, my father's side of the family has a lot of like gastro issues. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, 
I have like one friend who has like irritable bowel, um, but she didn't really find out about that until a little bit recently. So like in high school, we would always talk about poop, but um, yeah, no, you and there's one other person I met from Crohn's and Colitis Foundation on Instagram. And um, I guess that, that's really it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you have the person with OCD who, who followed. Do you have anyone else... Uh, through social media with mental health issues that you follow or is it just our our small little group of pals? Yeah, no, I keep it small. <laughs> I keep it small for sure because I don't know. Like I, like I said, I found Tortilla Wilson through another woman um, and I ended up stopped following that woman because it was like it wasn't real. Like it, it didn't feel real and I couldn't relate to her because she was older and she had kids. So um, once I find someone that I like, I usually just stick with them because I'm also very stingy with who I follow. I like I follow like <laughs> very little people. So there's that too. I, uh, I go on a follow frenzy. If I see one mm-hmm. picture I like. Oh, same thing with those meme accounts. Um, mm-hmm. But the, so the, one of the last questions that I want to ask you um, is if you want to talk any th- more about your experience at the psychiatric facility. Oh. yeah <laughs> you don't have to yeah. if you don't want no no to. no I want to <laughs> literally okay that's the one thing like I told you I wanted to come on the show because people don't like take my illnesses seriously and I wanted to get a chance to like actually talk about it with someone who cared and understood yeah. um and what blows my mind is literally no one asks me that no one asks me how the mental hospital was and I think that is so crazy like out of my family friends even my boyfriend like no one like cared to know like exactly how it was like I feel like if that was my friend I would be like oh my god tell me everything what are the people like in there what was the food like like mm-hmm. everything like what tell me do? everything yeah but no no one want no one cares and that <laughs> that made me sad so I'm well, going to tell you right now. Well, bef- that's interesting. So I would think that it's possible for someone to think, you know, it's probably not something you want to talk about or to bring up. So they maybe they're avoiding bringing it up to you in that way. That makes sense. I, guess I don't know. I don't know if that's right or right. I'm just saying that's I could understand both perspectives on that. But it, I'm yeah. glad that you're saying openly here. uh that you'd like to be asked about it. So we'd like to hear about it. Yeah. Um, I've actually never even thought of it that way. I think because of my filterlessness, um, that's probably why I haven't even thought of it from that perspective. (laughs) Um, okay. So I would go there at eight in the morning. I took off three weeks of work so I could do this and I would go there. I'd get there at eight in the morning. It was like a 30 minute drive. Um, and you would walk in, you'd have to get buzzed into the front doors. And all the doors were like, every little door was like, you had to get buzzed in because there was um, mentally ill people inside. Um, you know, there was like all pasted up, like no guns, no weapons, no knives. I had a knife in my bag, but they never knew. Um, <laughs> and then oh, you'd have to lock your stuff away. You literally weren't supposed to have anything, but I was like, um, no, I need hand sanitizer. 
So I had a little bag <laughs> with hand sanitizer and my inhaler and like other stuff. Um, and a bottle of lavender oil because I needed it. And, um, and then you would get like your name tag with your photo on it and your name. And then they would buzz you in and you would go into the breakfast room, but we had to wait for the severely mentally ill people to finish eating breakfast. Um, and a few times, like, I didn't know this because they don't really communicate very well there. Everyone's very busy and understaffed and et cetera. Um, and I went in there with the, 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 um, severe patients and it was bad. Um, I had to get like pulled out and, um, so we had to wait for them and then we'd have breakfast and they had like those little mini boxes of cereal and like, and the people, there was like teachers, I guess, where they would teach the classes that we would go throughout the day and like there was different ones every day. Um, and they would watch to make sure everyone was eating because a lot of us didn't want to eat because our anxiety was so bad, et cetera, et cetera. And then they would check to make sure we would take our medicine. And then we'd go into this little room and we would sit there and I think we had like four or five classes a day um, and they were just so lame. Like <laughs> they were about like understanding your emotions and um, I, I honestly blocked it all out. I hated it. I hated every second of it. I didn't want to do it. It was not what I expected. Um, it, and it sounds I like they were like felt like I wasn't you. supposed to be there. Was it like they were like babying you from like the yeah. classes? Yeah, it was. It was very much like that. Like I, I felt like I w- I shouldn't have been there. Like I felt like I was in the wrong place. Like I just I'm just depressed and anxious. Like the person sitting next to me literally tried to kill themselves. The person over there has really awful bipolar disorder. Like this person is schizoaffective. He has grandiose thoughts. Like. Um, and they didn't like prepare me for that <laughs> when I was going in. So that was kind of like, it was eye opening. I'm kind of grateful for it. Cause I got to know people that like, you know, I don't judge as much anymore because they were just normal people that were sick. Um, but it was still like very traumatic at the time. And, um, honestly, I think the only thing that really helped was that I got started on medication. And that was really one of the only reasons I wanted to go into a program um, was because I was so scared to take medication with the hypochondria thing that I wanted to be somewhere where there was a doctor at all times. Mm -hmm. Um, So basically, then you'd have lunch, and then you go back to class, and you got to leave for the day. And I had like this folder with all these stupid worksheets in it, (laughs) like about uh, expressing your feelings. It was like a lot about expressing your feelings now that I think about it, which I don't know. It seems so general and like blanketed. I don't understand how that would help everyone. I don't (laughs) know. Um, It seems like there, uh, and I don't really know that much about these kind of facilities or what different ones have to offer um 
but it seems like people would benefit more from like a specified place. Like somebody with an eating disorder would be focusing on different issues than somebody um, like you were saying that other people that are in there that are like hearing thoughts or whatever. Um, and then like hearing, uh, reading like, it's okay to feel sad sometimes kind of stuff isn't <laughs> like, yes, that's nice, but this is good. But Mr. Rogers also said that. Um, so do you think that you needed just like a little more attention there and like a little bit more specific care? For sure. Um, I ended up only getting to leave because I told them I wasn't, it wasn't helping me. Um, they didn't want me to leave at the end. Like, uh, I had to like beg <laughs> to leave yeah. and a lot of like what they kept saying was oh we're gonna just arm you with things to put in your toolbox and they would say that bullcrap constantly about like these are different coping techniques to have in your toolbox every time you're getting into a situation to pull out your breathing techniques your uh are you black and white thinking are you negative thinking turn your thoughts around like all this stupid stuff that doesn't work for everyone yeah and especially doesn't work for me um so yeah it wasn't really great but I I don't fault them because it's kind of like our healthcare system kind of a failure on that part um because I know that there's places that would have been more helpful but they don't take insurance mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of a whole nother issue yeah it sounds like you almost just went to like a seminar which those are great we love them we need them but uh you i you would expect a little more from a facility that you're going into so i i get that so when you say that you're you know the people in your life weren't really asking about you do you think they just don't understand or they don't care like how do you how do you feel about that um I think with my situation because of like the hypochondria um I complained a lot and I cried wolf a lot and I was in quotes dramatic a lot um so I almost feel like it's almost like what do they call it like compassion fatigue Mm -hmm. people in my life like because the people in my life also have their own things going on um so I feel like it was almost I'm not going to say it's my fault because that's not how that works but it's that's that's kind of how I what I told myself of why why people weren't like concerned or taking it as seriously as as I would mm -hmm. I kind of like was projecting how I would act if it was someone I knew um and when I didn't meet the expectations it was kind of, I took it like more offensively than I had to do you think they have a better understanding now um that you're feeling better or do you have you not really talked to them about it I don't know I don't think that <laughs> it sounds really sad but I feel like I still feel like no one really understood like exactly what was going on in my head and how serious it was just because of all the years and years and years of me kind of complaining. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess I, I think that was going to be my last question. Like if, if they're listening right now in a 
quick summary, <laughs> what, what would you wish that they understood more or th that you want them to know the most? Um, that's, that's the thing. Like, I don't even know like what I wanted from it all, but mm -hmm. I felt like it wasn't enough either way, but I guess I want them to know that like I'm, I'm fragile. <laughs> like it's not a joke. Like when I'm saying something's triggering me, for example, or like if I'm not having a good day, like please take it more seriously than, than you did before I was diagnosed or before I went full on mental breakdown mm -hmm. because it could happen again. It happened so easily. Um, so I guess that's really what I'd want to say to them <laughs> and what I probably will say to them after this. Oh, good. <laughs> um, Ricky, did you have anything else that you wanted to ask today? No, we covered a lot of topics. This was a good one. No, this was this was great. We don't normally have someone who has, you know, both a, a physical illness as well as, as a mental illness and and one like this, which seems to easily intersect. Um, so it was really interesting to hear that perspective. And it seems like at the moment you're you're in a, a fairly good place. And it's 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 nice to hear. And, and I hope that talking to us and, and telling your story is is helpful as it's, it's it was helpful for us to hear it. Yeah, it was awesome. It was really fun. I was really excited to do this. And now if anyone needs to know like my whole life story and my biggest, deepest, darkest secrets, I can just send them the link to your podcast. <laughs> yeah, thank you guys. I love the podcast and I, I love sharing it with people. And even when there's like episodes of that, I think someone I know can relate to, it's a really nice way to kind of make them feel like they're not alone. So but thanks for letting me um, blah, blah, blah all over you guys. Um, sick invite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you could blah, blah, blah on me anytime. <laughs>